This is a re-recording of the sermon that was preached this past Sunday, June 10th, here at the Blue Point Bible Church. The sermon is entitled, The Judgment of God Revealed Through His Presence. And what we had done after listening to Sister Meredith bless us in song, a song that highlighted the beauty of the presence of God, we then went around the room and spoke about our thoughts regarding the presence of God. And many people mentioned beautiful things such as God's grace, um, Jesus Christ, mercy, uh, responsibility. And then we began to talk about judgment, because again, the title is God's judgment revealed through his presence. And as we went around the room, people shared things such as accountability, as Jesus, as rewards, as love, and of course, as fear. We know that as the Church of Jesus Christ, we know the Proverbs remind us that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. However, we also know that the apostolic wisdom given to us by the Apostle John, that perfect love casts out fear. So when we come to understand the presence and the judgment of God, we know that if we love the Lord, it casts out the fear of his judgment. Amen? So we've begun a new season here at the Blue Point Bible Church. We've been thinking through the scriptures as we move out of Genesis, the beginning there, we move into the story of the Exodus. And as we're doing that here at our church, I've challenged us to call this or to take on what we're calling not a new series, a new sermon series as we often say, but no, a new season, the season of fire. As we note that the Exodus deals with God's love, God's passion for his people, and his people's passion, of course, to follow after him, we also see that his judgment is revealed through this story. It's revealed in regards to the benefit of his people, and it's revealed upon his people. And as we look at this Exodus picture here, we want to not only consider the historic details and the right doctrine that we can get from these historic events, we also want to consider how those details apply to our lives now. As someone reminded me earlier this week, that when we talk about or operate in the power of God, we are not talking about a power that can be read about in some point of history, but about a power that operated then and is operating in the here and now. So I ask you to consider this morning, how are you discerning God's power in your life? How and where are you in need of growing in love, in passion, or discerning God's judgment as revealed in and through the Exodus narrative? In my walk, I am focused on increasing in knowledge. This is one of those things we see marked out there in 2 Peter chapter 1, a text that I regularly bring before us as a text that mature Christians must consider. So as I'm growing in my understanding of, or my, as I'm growing in knowledge, this season of fire, I will be, and I will be bringing before us, 
studies regarding the Exodus and the Revelation connection. You see, both of these stories, as I'll mention a little bit this morning, both of these uh, details regarding the Exodus here in the book of Exodus, as well as the Exodus that we see in the book of Revelation, are connected. We talked about this a little bit last week, that when we talk about that word fire, again, synonymous with love, passion, judgment, and many other things, as found throughout Scripture, and also synonymous with other things as we talk about in our contemporary culture. When we talk about judgment, we see fire all over the Scriptures. And this is imperative to my studies, as not only am I participating in our thinking through the Scriptures here at the Blue Point Bible Church, I'm also preparing for a lecture regarding the judgment, as we see in Revelation chapter 14, the treading of the winepress. And I'll be bringing that presentation out um, at the Lakeshore Church of Christ in August of this year. And also in August of this year, I'll be participating in a debate online regarding the judgment of God and where I stand in my understanding of the judgment of God's wrath and, and his revealing of his wrath. It's surely looking to be an insightful season. By and large, that's what moments of God's judgment do. They bring insight, amen? Actually, I'd like to share a bit about that point this morning. So the first thing, if you look on your bulletin, you'll see it says, God's judgment brings insight. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about Exodus, and we're going to see how the Exodus, the many different Exoduses, if you will, plural there, revealed through Scripture, give us insight. Talking about the Exodus specifically here, the second book of our Bible, we're talking about the book of Shemot in the Hebrew, which means the book of names. And it would be said that the book of Exodus begins the story of Israel's national identity. We had already journeyed through the patriarchs, the beginnings. Now we're seeing their national identity marked out as they come out of this bondage in Egypt. You might say that their bondage in Egypt began to form them. God began to do a work. We're going to talk about his sovereignty here this morning and how that work that God was doing as they were in bondage, that fiery trial or the iron furnace, as Solomon had remarked in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 50, verse 51, that that iron furnace, that fiery trial, challenged Israel to come out as a beautiful, refined people for the Lord. So in this book of Exodus, we see that theme of exile and judgment. And as the rabbis remark about this book, that this is a book that shows how God is bringing the hidden potential found within his people, a hidden potential that his, a power, if you will, that his people had that they would not know, that they would not see if they did not go through the necessary trials and challenges that they did. A power, a perspective that would have lied dormant if God did not allow them to go through this exodus. What we see also through exoduses as I'm going to mark out three different exoduses this morning. Strange word there. Um, what we see through them is that they give us an opportunity to realize that we cannot take life for granted. You know, the exodus for Israel, if we're going to focus in on this historic story here, it was a spiritual and a physical reality. And I would venture to say that when we look at 
exiles and we look at judgments, God's judgment, let's say that. When we look at God's judgment, it's a physical and a spiritual experience. Historical and applicational right now in our lives. So as we go through and we mark out three different exoduses that are marked out in a Christian's life or understood in a Christian's life, I want us to think about this. What happened through each and after I'm sorry, what happened through and after each event, each exodus? What must be remembered as marked through that exodus? So the first one, of course, is the one we find here in Scripture. The historic story of Israel's redemption and national identity coming out from Egypt. Details that continue from what we had read about in the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. And, of course, we see here the sovereignty of God. We see God's arm saved his people. We're going to see that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to read that to us here in a moment. So that's the first historic story. And we see that it's a people that must rely upon God. God wanted them to see him as sovereign over them and that he would observe and he would take notice of their calamity and he would save them. And that without his redeeming arm, they would not have been saved. The second Exodus we see In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says that the first exodus, the details concerning Moses and that wilderness journey, were an example upon that generation whom the end had come. And we know this is talking about the first century church as they moved out of that old covenant, as they began to come to understand Christ fulfilling the jots and tittles of the law, the details of the law. They were moving out of that old covenant identity as the book of Hebrews marks out, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, that what was old was, and, and the old covenant was growing old and was ready to vanish away as the new was coming into fruition. We also see this compared in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapters 3 through 5, talk about the covenant that was given with glory to Moses, a veiled glory, however, a greater glory as made known through Jesus Christ. Jesus essentially is the greater Moses. That was prophesied in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And this is established by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3, verses 22 through 27. We also see some interesting parallel, as I've mentioned, there with the Exodus in the book of Revelation, uh, that Jerusalem, the the Babylon, the harlot, the old covenant, if you will, is referred to as spiritual Egypt in Revelation chapter 11, verse 8. That's the second exodus that we see marked out by Scripture and that we can understand. And what we should ultimately understand by that, of course, is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. When we look at the details of um, the Old Covenant there and we see the parallels, for example, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, it says, speaking about Moses, that he would let their people go. Moses would be the deliverer who would go to the Pharaoh and would seek to bring the people out of Bondage, And of course, we see this in the New Testament regarding Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, as well as Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And then, of course, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, we see something interesting there with Moses. Moses begs God, pleads for Israel, that he would blot him out of the book of life so that Israel might be saved. And of course, we know Jesus Christ said that no greater love has a man than this, he who would lay down his life for his friends, much more People, a man who would lay down his life for his people. And we see Jesus Christ did this. Jesus Christ did this for us. Luke chapter 10, I'm sorry, John chapter 10, verse 15, as well as 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 
Jesus Christ died for his people. So some interesting parallels there regarding Moses and Jesus. The two exoduses marked out for us in Scripture. And then the third one is not necessarily marked out for us in Scripture, but it's the applicational exodus, if you will. It's our experience. I had read some commentary this week on this story, and what most Christian pastors, most commentators would say that we are all called to live the exodus. We are all called to undergo baptism, dying to ourselves, leaving our our way of thinking, our stinking way of thinking, if you will, leaning upon our own understanding and instead coming into life. We are all called to go through an iron furnace, that fiery trial. I shared a little bit about that last week from my book, Freaked Out by the New Covenant, and how the details regarding how God refines his people and challenges his people and ultimately the historical story of the Exodus had a lot to do with me coming to grips with how God was working in and through my life. You see this Exodus Passover motif, if you will, pattern that is found throughout Scripture um, establishes the second Exodus paradigm for the New Testament. The messianic details concerning God's power would be patterned after God establishing his people through redemption from Egyptian bondage and the power of his saving arm. Again, as I had mentioned, Exodus 6.6 says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments. Great judgments. Amen. You know, I want to say something about God's judgment this morning. God's judgment, as marked out by our title this morning, is, begins with God's presence. You're going to see here as we move into Exodus chapter 3 that but as we move into this story of the historic first Exodus of Scripture, we see it begins with God's presence. Not only does it begin with God's sovereignty, God taking notice, as we'll show here in a moment, it begins with God's presence, that burning bush, that God appears to Moses in. The second thing is that God's presence requires responsibility. You see, each one of those Exodus stories that we marked out, whether it's the first historic Exodus, the second Exodus as made known through Jesus Christ and established Jesus Christ as the way of no condemnation, the covenant that we must choose, the new covenant as established through Jesus Christ, or if it's the third exodus, we see there's a responsibility to learn the insights, to take those insights and to go through the fiery trial and come out refined as gold. There's a responsibility. And then it brings about an understanding of God's judgment. It brings about insights, and these need not be condemning. Judgment, as made known all throughout Scripture, is a blessing. It always begins with God's people because his judgment, as the apostle, apostle Peter remarked, he said judgment must begin at the house of God because we are the people that carry that judgment. We are a people that that judgment is made known in and through and that is a blessing, but it does come with responsibility. Perfectly, when you look at a Christian's life, when you look at the reality of the church, you see a judgment made known. And ultimately, that's why we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So that brings me to my point here. The sovereignty of God. We see the sovereignty of God all over judgment. I want to take us to Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. 
It says here, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. Again, Israel was in bondage for 400 years. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help, because of their bondage, rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. I know somebody needs to hear that message, right? That when we're in that moment of trial, that God takes notice. And that's how it begins. That's how the story of Exodus begins, with God taking notice, God's sovereignty being established. I'm very particular about that. I believe that when we understand a certain doctrine or we understand whether it's the judgment of God, the salvation of God, whatever it might be, it must begin with God's sovereignty. beautiful that on our sign outside our church it says a sovereign grace church God takes notice and it's beautiful because God's ways are not our ways you know a text I want to take us to a parallel text that reminds me of some thoughts I want to share with us is 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 and we read first of all then I urge that entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You see that? For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You see, God sovereignly designs this world so that we may find what we need. I like what the, uh, the book of the epistle of Peter says, that he has given to us everything pertaining to life, life and godliness. It begins with God, his sovereignty, him doing something, him taking notice. He desires that all men would be saved and accomplishes so much for us on his end. It's such a blessing to have and to know the judgments of God. Again, the clear revealing of God's judgments are found in Jesus Christ. When God took notice, God did something. We might say the judgments are made known in and through the very presence of God as made known and established in and through Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do is take us into, the ex into Exodus chapter 3 and mark out some details regarding Moses and his response to the presence of God, which I believe will speak to each and every one of us, will give us insights this morning regarding how God's presence brings forth his judgment, and it gives us insights regarding his judgment. What I'd like to do first is just read through Exodus chapter 3. starting at verse 1. And if you're following along, that's going to be on page 58 of the Pew Bible. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in blazing fire from the midst of a, of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. 
So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the burning bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Then he said, do not come here. Remove your sandals from your feet from the place on which you stand for the place on which you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face. For he, for he was afraid to look at God. There's that fear, that judgment aspect, right? We talk about the presence and the judgment and the fear. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a land that is good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now and behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I that have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. And I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elect, the elders of Israel, together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, to the Hittite, to the Amorite, to the Perizzite, to the Hivite, and to the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with all the elders of Israel, will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles with which I shall do in the midst. And after that he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians. Now that's some good news, amen? Imagine being Israel. This is the gospel to Israel in Egypt. What I want to do is I want to share some insights, again, about this story and, and, and look at this story a little bit and, and not just tell the story of the burning bush and, you know, Moses leading Israel out of Egypt, but mind the details for some insights. A few details that we can take into account. 
is that the bush represented the aspect of God's existence, the aspect of God's judgment that remains incomprehensible to man. In our Sunday school this morning, we marked out a study for next week. If you want to join us in our Sunday school, Romans chapter 11, verse 33, where it talks about the judgments of God being unknowable and unsearchable. There's aspects to it that can be known, of course, as we're talking about this morning and as we're pointing out. But then there's aspects that we cannot know. And the insight from Rabbi Hirsch, matter of fact, I found this to be a good insight, is that instead of trying to find out about the phenomenon that lies outside or beyond your sphere, about the judgments of God that are beyond our understanding, instead take the time to understand the high density of the ground on which you already stand the things you already know, things that already have been revealed. And give yourself to that entirely. How often we venture into trying to understand the things that are beyond us at the expense of the things that have already been revealed, that we can make known, that we can search out. I know I regularly talk about the the simple truth of love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm still trying to figure that truth out rather than spending my time understanding things that are far above my understanding. And I believe it glorifies God and, and that's exactly what God is doing here is he's revealing himself in a way that's saying, Moses, stop staring at the bush and trying to figure out why it's burning and why it, you know how it's not being consumed. You notice Moses did that. But instead, understand what I'm revealing to you. It is I, God, speaking to you, telling you to go and I will be with you. Take that. Another interesting thing here about the story is that Moses' ability to approach God does not emerge full bloom, but rather develops over the course of a spiritual journey. You see, here in Exodus chapter 3, Moses goes to approach God and he's told, stand back, take off your shoes, and Moses is afraid and fearful. However, by the time we get to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, Moses is the mighty man that is used by God to go up into the very presence of God at the top of that mountain. Wow. How much hope should that give us? Maybe we're not there yet. Maybe you're not there yet in your walk. And we should be comfortable that the way God's judgment, the way his understandings are revealed, is they don't come full bloom. It doesn't just happen. It's a growth process. It's going through fiery trials. It's going through experiences to learn more about our God. And now let's talk about Moses having to remove his shoes. I thought this was an interesting insight here. That we all remove our shoes when we consider the ground upon which we stand. We must remove ourselves from the physical dimensions of existence in order to prepare for spirituality, to prepare for prophetic vision. And that's exactly what Moses did here. God says, not only take notice of the ground that you're standing on that's holy, but also you need to die to this natural existence. That's what we do in baptism. We celebrate that glorious reality of baptism when we die to our ourselves. We die to leaning upon our own understanding, the natural man, and we come alive in the spiritual man, in and through Jesus Christ, the knowledge of God known and applied. And you know, one last truth that I'd like to make known to us this morning, as I prepare for a conclusion here, is uh, it takes us a little bit further into the story, but it highlights something that I believe is very important as we come to talk about God working in and through our, in and through our lives. We talk about the judgment of God and, and ultimately understanding his very presence and the call that he has upon our lives and, the, and his judgment. 
You ever heard somebody say, and, and you know, I surely don't want to be this person, that you could be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? We're so good at noting biblical truths, great in the aspects of faith, etc., that we fail to miss out on the humanity of it all. You know any Christians that are like that? You know, for me, I, I have to be honest with you that I don't have that problem all that often. You know, it's, I have no problem. If I'm going to be quite honest, in my running of the race, so to speak, it's not impossible for me to notice my humanity. Maybe you share such a burden. So did Moses. He noticed his humanity. He didn't quite understand, you know, if God is such a just and merciful and compassionate and gracious God, I surely don't deserve that. Why use me? Why reveal your, your mighty truths to me? You know where we go wrong right there, right? This is, no, no, it's God. It's God's sovereignty. Nothing special about us. But I do want to point out some interesting things here about Moses. You know, God calls Moses... And Moses begins to, you know, notice that he stutters and he has, you know, he's obviously um, nervous and anxious and fearful of God. Why didn't God just fix all of those problems right away? Boom, he'll heal him. Make him bold, make him confident. Heal his stuttering so that he speaks eloquently. I want to challenge us with a couple of thoughts about that. One Moses' speech impediment actually serves as a leadership qualification. God wants the message rather than the eloquence of the messenger to drive the events of his work. The truth of God must be accepted not because of eloquence, but because of substance. Because of the truth of his judgment, not in my uh, efforts of telling you about the judgment. And God does that with Moses here. We can learn from that insight there. When we, when we go about explaining and living out the judgments of God in our world, we can say God, equi- God equipped me by making me weak. In my weakness, he is strong. Amen? And then a second thing is that God wants Moses' personal struggle to serve as an example for his people. If the Israelites see a leader who is flawed, They will come to realize that perfection is not a prerequisite for accomplishment. In that Moses sets an example for us all. Let it be said of each of us that we are perfectly flawed. Useful for God to show the world that it's not about our perfection, it's about his perfection. It's about his judgments being true and just. Amen? You see that marked out all over the book of um, Revelation. In Psalm chapter 19, in conclusion this morning, and I'll tell you what, you can all trust that there's going to be some emails, some blogs posted this week about God's judgment. So that we might continue to consider the things that are made known. Mark out the things maybe that are not going to be known and be examples of God's true and just judgment. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, being altogether righteous. May we be a people that live out that reality. Matter of fact, in our Sunday school this morning, Hebrews chapter 6 stood out to me. We, we talked a little bit about some of the text there. But there was something in that text that marks out what I believe. If we're going to be a people that not only have the presence of God, but that we're going to live out the judgments of God, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, seems to be the type of people that we need to, well, at least chapter 7, 
uh, verse 7, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7. Verse 8 marks the people we don't want to be, of course. Let's read. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. Are you receiving the rain? Are you receiving the truth of God? Are you receiving the grace, the mercy, the judgment of God so that you can bring forth fruit? Again, I had mentioned earlier on that Second Peter chapter 1 marks out the things that we must be doing to be effective and fruitful. If we're going to be effective and fruitful in our use of the knowledge of God, that which God has made known regarding his judgments. And then verse 8 says, But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and closed up, being cursed, and it ends up being burned. That's not the good purifying, refining fire of God that we want to think about there. So let's be a people that take in the concepts, take in the truth, absorb the rain, so that we might fully demonstrate through his presence, his judgments. Let's pray. Mighty God, we do indeed thank you for all that you have made known. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for your spirit that illuminates the scriptures and allows us to come to an understanding of your truth so that we might look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, so that we might live in a manner that is glorifying and obedient to you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've made known. Allow us, Lord, to be a people that truly do consider the ground upon which we stand. That we would become knowable about the things that we can know that you have made known and live consistent in those regards. Considering your presence, considering your judgments, knowing that there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus and living out that reality to a world that is in desperate need of your truth. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.